Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Indie Reads Aloud. Today, we're welcoming back a wonderful author. Jennifer Raines is coming all the way from Australia, which I'm always flabbergasted by. And then on top of that, she is reading a story today when she's actually in tomorrow. And I know I've talked about this on the program before, and I can't seem to figure out how you do that time travel thing jennifer but welcome i'm so Thank glad you. you're back uh, yeah i'm pleased so, to be here it's so much fun to hear you read you're such a great storyteller so I, i'm so glad you're back thank you um for those of you who are listening with little eared people um please be advised that there is a listener advisory for this program for some colorful language so if you have little people listening in, you might want to preview this episode before you share it with the little ones in your life. Jennifer Raines is from Australia, and she writes contemporary romances set mainly, but not exclusively, in Australia. Think Malta, Finland, New Zealand, maybe some other fun places. She's a dreamer and an optimist. Her stories are, are a delicious cocktail of mutual respect, passion, and loyalty because she believes in happily ever afters. And you know what? This, we need more of those. This, this, I just, can we just have happy for a while? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really, I like that, yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm really glad. Now, th this story you're going to read today is Planting Hope, mm. and it's a romance, and how many books does this make for you now? This is my third. Uh, the first two were a pair, and this is a standalone. Awesome. 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 Okay. Um, rather than me read the synopsis, which is always super boring, because why should I read it when you can just tell us about the story? Okay. Uh the premise is whether or not digging and weeding, planting and pruning can equal love. And it's about a uh, pilot project to see if creating a garden with young children, primary school age children who've witnessed or um, experienced domestic violence, if working on a garden can help them heal. What and a we, cool concept. <laughs> and we have two characters, our uh, loner uh, hero, who is um, a landscaper and gardener. But in fact, although very few people know it, his father murdered his mother when he was eight. So he understands what the children are going through. Our female lead is a uh, nurse 
nursing was her passion. However, in um, emergency surgery, working in emergency surgery as a nurse, uh, another nurse was killed by a patient, okay. a relative patient high on drugs. And so she feels untethered and uh, she's been wandering up the eastern seaboard and they get caught together because she comes in to help her grandmother whose project it is and her grandmother's ill and so together okay. kit and holly have to sort this one out <laughs> wow how much fun oh my gosh so when well you i say, hope it, yes there is some fun when you when you say the eastern seaboard are you talking about eastern australia or a different yes place? yes following uh she's been following music festivals down the eastern seaboard of australia so okay. this one is set in um a rural town in victoria Okay. Um, and uh, where her grandmother lives. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So oh, I'm so excited to hear you read. This is going to be <laughs> a great well, story. I... I'm so excited for this. Okay. Let me comfy in my chair. Okay. I'm ready. So okay. when you are ready, please take the microphone and read aloud. I think my mic's on, isn't it? Yes. It is indeed. Yep. Okay. Planting Hope, Chapter One. Holly's head was cobwebbed with sleep. Only the dream of coffee lured her from her sleeping bag. The barista come chef in charge of the breakfast tent at the quaintly named Burroa Music Festival had her double shot flat white coffee in his hand when she reached the counter. You're a lifesaver, Pedro. Almost grazing her nose against the rim of the cup, she absorbed the scent of a fresh brew and a master of the bean. Food? A talented volunteer, Pedro grinned at her ritual. His wink a promise that he'd reserved a warm bread roll and banana for her. At her nod, he handed them over. Thanks. Senior medic at the three-day festival, Holly had been ministering to party-hardened fans at 4.45 this morning. She'd welcomed the security backup when the final patient, a boozy bruiser with a stubbed toe, had wanted to hang around. You're the last crew in, Pedro returned to tending the bubbling pot on his stove. The ingredients in the Thai pumpkin soup, a delicate, spicy backbeat to his sweet Arabica bean brew. He flipped his sound system to maximum decibel heavy metal band, ACDC. Holly winced, whispering to herself, you'll be deaf by 30. The distorted guitars were a shocking contrast to the cruisy folk that had headlined the regional festival. Ear-shattering rather than loud was Holly's verdict, permissible only because the bulk of the 5,000 fans had broken camp overnight and not so silently departed. Dusty, desolate fields with blue portable toilets extending in forlorn lines testified to a near-empty campsite. Taking a table at the side, she let the first sip of coffee work its magic on her body and brain. Mmm, she moaned. A caffeine dependency was borderline mandatory when sleep deprivation topped the risk list in your job description. Holly offered thanks to all the gods in the universe, took another sip and closed her eyes to savour the hum of well-being stretching to her toes. Humanity's continuum of vice included infidelity and murder, 
Caffeine addiction was the smallest sin, a vice she'd keep. She dunked a hunk of bread in her coffee, watching as the dough absorbed the liquid. When it was close to disintegrating in her fingers, she popped it into her mouth. Maybe that counted as another vice. My last shift for this festival, her gut tightened. Eight months since her last nursing shift on emergency surgery. 10 years in nursing, the last two in emergency at Brisbane's Princess Alexandra Hospital. Drawing in a deep breath, she then exhaled on a count from zero to from eight to zero, as she'd been taught, consciously blocking out the memory of Donna's murder in a workplace dedicated to healing. Here and now, here and now. When a wandering gaze met the baristas, he held up an empty cup in one hand while pointing at it with his other. She nodded. A few minutes later, he leaned over the table with her coffee, the deliberate stretch lifting his blinding white T-shirt, giving her an eyeful of tone tanned abs. Thanks. She pretended not to get his I'm available message just as she had every morning, instead returning a friendly smile. Pedro was tasty, all solid muscle and lean length, and her pulse remained a disappointing rock steady. Her nostrils quivered as she inhaled her second coffee. Are you shutting up shop soon? She asked as he lingered. Some of the organisers and crew won't finish till late today. I'll go tomorrow. He shrugged and she guessed more than heard his words. What about you? A few hours stock taking medical supplies, then I'll be on my way. Her best friend's death, even the conviction of Donna's killer, had left Holly untethered, seeking something she couldn't define. Closure? Peace? She was managing, if running on the spot could be called managing. She took enough paid nursing shifts at the music festival she followed down the Australian Eastern Seaboard to keep her bank account positive, socialised with other crew members. But she no longer had a sense of who or what she'd be for the rest of her life. It's been a pleasure, Holly. He blew her a kiss as he backed away. Maybe next time. He waggled his eyebrows suggestively. She toasted him with a mug, a pathetic indictment of a state of mind when coffee held more appeal than sampling a warm, willing Pedro. Gorgeous hunks were a fixture at music festivals, and she'd originally planned to reject the caution of a lifetime, to celebrate the fact she was still alive with occasional quick tumbles with relative strangers. Donna's go-girl rang in her ears. Only Holly hadn't been tempted not once in her six months on the road. Her heart was numb. Hell, her sex drive was numb. Not a single man had made her gonads go pity-pat or eased her aching sense of failure. Her phone, tucked in her overalls pocket, vibrated against her leg, an unknown number. Hello, Holly here. Unable to hear above the music, she raised her voice. Hold on. Lifting the phone high enough for Pedro to see, she pointed at it, then gave him a thumbs up when he hit the volume button. 
Her ears still ringing, she tried again. Holly here. Holly Cooper, the husky emphasis revealed the man's frustration at the delay. Can I help you? Your grandmother, Mona Cooper's in hospital. Heart, she croaked, pressing a hand to her own. Had Mona lied about the seriousness of her heart condition? Holly blinked. The tent still held a scatter of people. She read normality, decency, cooperation, values her grandmother had taught her to appreciate. The independent old matriarch hated admitting to physical weakness, any weakness. Please tell me she's okay. Holly offered a silent prayer. Damage to soft tissue and exposure. Exposure? Holly fastened on the impossible word, her mind reeling. He wasn't making sense. They'd screen timed last week. Mona had been buzzing with news about her gardening as healing project for eight primary school kids. An earthquake wouldn't have budged Mona from a five-acre property in temperate Malden, rural Victoria. How the hell? A fall in her garden. Spent the night there. The man cut short her mental speculation. Which hospital? I need to be there. Bendigo. You're a nurse. Damn it, Holly. Pull yourself together. But images of the Brisbane emergency ward, of a knife-wheeling assailant, and of Donna dying at her feet, hit like a tsunami, tumbling her into a rolling swell. Fear for her grandmother paralysed her. Emergency admission about nine this morning, the man added, as if she should have asked him for details. And she would have asked, but he was talking about Mona. Mona was supposed to live forever. Mona the Invincible, the name Holly had coined for her as a child. 75 wasn't old, but old enough with a heart condition to make being exposed to an early spring Victorian night potentially deadly. She swallowed, throat parched. Did she ask for me? Helplessness, a constant companion since Donna's death, shredded Holly's confidence her intervention could make a difference in an emergency. I haven't been able to speak to her since I found her. He wasn't a doctor then, a neighbour perhaps. Holly didn't know all the neighbours, but learning Mona wasn't completely alone settled her deepest fears. Why? She massaged her left temple where a throbbing headache threatened. At first she was drifting in and out of consciousness. Now she's sleeping. The image of an unconscious Mona stopped Holly's heart. I rang your father. He said you were closer. His growl was a grating mixture of impatience and disgust. Holly shared his impatience. I have to be there now. Maybe he'd misunderstood her father's deferral to her. She was closer in distance, closer in spirit. Her father trusted her to get there as fast as she could, faster than he could. I'm on my way. She started a mental list, apologised to the organisers, hand over the medical inventory to a colleague, pack her gear, then retrace the 20 kilometres of dirt road to the highway before tackling the 500-odd kilometre drive to Bendigo. I'll be there as soon as I can. I wouldn't want you to put yourself out. Flint-hitting cold steel couldn't have been sharper. 
The man was seriously irked, and a failure to estimate an arrival time probably pissed him off further. She shuffled names in her head. She had a contact at the hospital, could get a professional update as soon as she got this grumpy Samaritan off the phone. What's your name? Christopher Silverton. Thanks for letting me know about Mona, Mr Silverton. Holly approached the hospital entrance, her chokehold on her bag bringing an unwelcome insight. Six months away, and the sense that she was no longer safe in a hospital lingered. She wasn't ready to return to emergency work. Still, she hadn't known her stomach would heave like the deck of the Titanic at the thought of entering any hospital. Flashing lights and a siren signalled the imminent arrival of an ambulance. Sweat trickled down her spine. Balking at the hospital doors, she glanced around to check for witnesses to her mini panic attack. Eight, seven, six, five. She counted backwards to zero, then did it again and again before she was steady enough to cross the threshold. She'd also thought she was prepared for how frail Mona would look, but her heart stumbled at the stillness of the tiny body tucked beneath the blindingly white hospital sheets in the private room. The corners of the bed were neatly tucked, a trivial detail for her to notice, but attention to detail showed someone cared. After brushing away her tears, she donned a hospital gown over her grubby clothes before approaching the bed. You're here, Mona whispered, her hand turning in Holly's. Mona, conscious and aware, banished some of the scariest scenarios her mind had conjured while counting down the kilometres on the endless punishing drive. For as long as you need me. I'm sorry I scared you. I don't scare that easily. Holly flashed her brightest smile. But fear of what she'd find had kept her mind sharp and her muscles tense. Lives could be changed forever in an instant. It can't stop now. What can't stop? The project. I was right. Mona's whisper was part plea. Creating a garden can help children heal. The project can't stop because I'm in hospital. It won't stop. Holly's promise was a solemn vow. Holly couldn't remember a time when Mona hadn't plotted for this project. From a distance, Holly had been party to every application, every knockback, every painstaking effort over years to get the Education, Health and Juvenile Justice Authorities on side for her gardening as healing pilot project for children who'd witnessed or been victims of domestic violence. Mona's delight had reverberated down the phone line when she won the six-month grant to fund it. Any threat to the project was a threat to Mona's recovery. Go home now, darling. I knew you'd come. Mona closed her eyes on a sigh. Holly's contact at the hospital had finished for the day, but the duty intern and her own check of the charts confirmed Mona was stable, medicated, and under observation. She updated her father before leaving the hospital. Drawing to a halt in Mona's driveway, 
she rested her head on the steering wheel. She was beyond tired, and with the adrenaline draining from her body, every muscle and bone ached. She hauled her rucksack from the back of the van she'd named Norman. Expecting to detour to Mona's on a journey south, she'd packed her own keys, a mismatched set of six. Her fingers moved over the metal surfaces in the half-dark of a star-filled night, finding the right one for the front door. The door gave as easily as ever, and the old-fashioned light shade bathed the hallway with a warm glow. She inhaled comfort and reassurance along with the heady scent of the yellow roses spilling over the sides of the crystal vase on the hall table and breathed out some of her body's stiffness. The smell of beeswax sat behind the delicate perfume of the roses, Mona's preferred polish for the wide cypress pine boards. Roses, beeswax and a hint of lavender. Holly's first lesson in natural remedies, a few drops of lavender oil in floor or furniture polish helped keep fleas under control. There was always the risk of fleas because there were always animals. Bella, Mona's golden Labrador should have barreled down the hall to greet her, desperate for food as well as affection at this hour. Holly walked through rooms flicking off on lights, Finding them empty, she quickened her steps. Bella, she called again. Max, she pushed open the back door. The old cat had still been alive when she chatted to Mona. Although the vet didn't give the ancient feline more than a few more weeks to live, Mona's voice had wobbled in the telling. Holly was a few steps into the garden, her gaze straining against new and unfamiliar shapes, when the doorbell rang. Small country town. A neighbour must have seen the lights. She laughed at her own jumpiness. But a step slowed as she headed down the hall. The shadowy figure on the other side of the half-glass door filled the space. Over six feet and broad didn't match any of the neighbours Holly remembered. A flicker of alarm blindsided her. Donna's killer had been big. The Westminster chimes rang through the house again and Bella barked. Whoever was on the other side of the door had Mona's animals. Holly flung it open and was knocked off her feet by the enthusiastic dog. She sprawled on the floor, the dog straddling her, her long tongue lapping at Holly's chin. Down, Bella, darling, she crooned, her fingers finding the magic spot on Bella's stomach. The dog rolled over in delight. You know the dog. Holly recognised the voice of her caller from earlier in the day. Her gaze travelled up long legs and paused at the work-roughened hand holding the large cat basket where Max peered regally through the mesh. Continuing up, she found a broad chest covered in a navy sweater knitted in an intricate pattern Mona reserved for those she was fond of. Holly's stare landed on a craggy, square-jawed face scowling at him. His frosty grey gaze suggested his mood hadn't improved. Gamona didn't mention her ripped mid-thirties friend. Christopher Silverton, she scrambled to her feet and offered a hand. I'm guessing you looked after Bella and Max, as well as Mona. 
He refused her offer of a hand, instead doing his own slow survey. She failed whatever test he'd set her. I've driven past the house a few times today, he said, but you weren't here. Just got here, she replied. The guy needed a personality bypass, but he'd done his second good deed for the day. It's after nine. Is it? Could be a hair past a freckle for all Holly cared. She held out her hand. Max? I fed them. He handed her the carrier. I'll take you to the hospital. Her eyebrows rose at the masterful tone. That's not necessary. The least you can do is go and see your grandmother or... He leaned closer and his nostrils twitched. Maybe you need a bath first. Advice noted. She set the carrier on the floor, then closed the door in his face, deliberately locking it. She braced herself, body and mind, for a pushback, expecting his pent-up irritation to explode in loud knocking or shouted instructions. Nursing had taught her a lot of men didn't take no for an answer. Her heart skittered against her chest. A lot of people didn't take no for an answer. Endless microseconds later, he turned on his heel and walked away. At the sound of his vehicle backing out of the driveway, she released her breath to a count of eight. A gentle giant. Christopher, Kit Silverton, spotted Holly's van in the hospital car park the next morning. He'd have picked the battered vehicle as hers even without the interstate plates the profusion of what looked like opium poppies spray-painted across one side made its own self-indulgent statement. He grunted, frustration leaving an itch between his shoulder blades. He'd driven past the house this morning, prepared to offer her another lift, because whatever his opinion, Mona loved her. And he'd fallen hook, line and sinker for the feisty old lady since she'd invited him to co-manage her gardening as healing project six months ago. Shh. Shoot, he corrected himself. To his mind, Holly ranked lower than a stink beetle for using her grandmother as her bank. For fuck's sake, she's still following a hippie lifestyle at 20-something. And that's two gold coins in the swearing jar. To a disinterested observer, hiring kit made sense. He owned and operated the town's only gardening supplies and landscaping business. But Mona had known his foster father known his real father was a murderer and known he'd come from the same desolate place as the kids on her project. Had probably also known she was throwing him a lifeline. Mona seemed to make a habit of rescuing people. He stomped through the front doors of the hospital, annoyed with himself and Holly. He didn't know for a fact she'd never worked, but hell, in the six months he'd worked closely with Mona, her granddaughter had crisscrossed the country, a camp follower for musos except the camp follower beat me here this morning. Kid had been ungracious when he'd met her, but he hated being helpless. Mona had slipped into unconsciousness shortly after he'd found her. The duty doctor had taken charge while Kit had started tracking down her next of kin. By the time Holly had picked up the call, his patience with a slow-to-respond family was exhausted. I'll be there, she'd said. The hours had dragged on. Dappled sunlight had faded into night, and those three imprecise words were all he'd had. He'd driven himself crazy second-guessing her arrival time, 
and had tried without luck to reach her again. Then he'd paced, trying to outdistance the guilt of not leaving Mona's garden secure. He'd only left Mona's bedside when the doctor had advised she was stable and because he'd known her first question would be about her animals. Finding no one in sight at the second floor reception desk, Kit headed down the corridor to Mona's room. A musical laugh floated through her open door. I'm surprised some of my campsite aroma doesn't still linger. I gowned up last night to prevent contamination. Holly gurgled. She'd visited last night, presumably before I met her. She'd let him make a fool of himself. Irritation flared again. She'd also shut the door in his face. He pushed this one wide in time to see Holly's Juno-esque form bent over Mona, her fingers combing gently through the grey hair, her ginger-brown eyes filled with tenderness. No one had looked at Kit with such open adoration since his eighth birthday. The sense he was trespassing on an intensely private moment hit like a belly punch. She glanced up. Mr Silverton? Her gaze danced mockingly, her pink and green cropped hair and neat glossy cap on her skull, where last night it had stuck up as if she'd been trying to pull it out by the roots. The clothes were an improvement as well. The paints, spattered shirt and scruffy jeans were clean, unlike last night's overalls and purple sweatshirt. Miss Cooper. He looked from her to Mona, moving to the side of the bed with his hand outstretched. I'm sorry. Mona took his hand, the light squeeze, a poor substitute for a usual robust handshake, and guilt jabbed at him again. Not your fault, she whispered. I found you on the ground near a new ditch. The memory of a crumpled, motionless body brought Kit out in a cold sweat. There was a mattock nearby and no fencing to show the hole. I remember I tripped, Mona said slowly. Then I couldn't get up. You fell heavily, bumped your head on the mattock and passed out, he stated grimly. A mattock was a dangerous tool at any time, a mighty double-headed implement with its axe blade and cutting edge. Leaving it outside overnight was dangerously negligent. My fault the gear wasn't put away. Why is it your fault? Holly's brow puckered. I'm Mona's gardener on the project. Although her passion for the kids had infected him until finishing the project had become his goal as well. More than a gardener, Kit, Mona protested. Christopher, Kit, Mona's talked about you. Now I know who you are, Holly's brow cleared. She cocked her head to one side and her eyes lit with interest. Darkness threatened to swallow him. She couldn't know his father had killed his mother when Kit was eight years old. Mona wouldn't have shared his past without his permission. There you go. Okay, I'm, I'm so hooked. So... <laughs> So deeply, deeply hooked. You you could have just kept reading till my bed. <laughs> I, I would have been okay with that. Uh, so this is a standalone where the other two are in series. Yeah. How, how was it different writing this one than the other two? I always used to write standalone and then I thought I'd um, 
try and write a series. And in fact, that series I finished before this. This book is particularly special uh, to me. I had a very close friend, very young, who died before COVID. And she died of an exceptionally rare disease called anti-synthetase. And so I bought, I wrote this book for Elsbeth. She was passionate about gardens okay. and she believed in their healing qualities. And so I guess it was part of my grieving too that I wanted to write this story for her. What um, a really wonderful way to honor her memory. <laughs> I, what a great idea. That's so, it, it, yeah, yeah. And, and it's different. It's different because of, of the sort of the theme and the topic, not necessarily a conventional romance. So I was thrilled when um, Inkspell Publishing wanted to take it. And I've had some good feedback from some of the art copies out there now. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, to see it come to life exciting. is just magic. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh my gosh, yeah. how wonderful. And and to do it in memory of a friend, that's always the best. Mm -hmm. Always. Um, what is on the shores for you coming next? Are you working on another project now? I've actually got a few more um, that, are, that are coming up. I've got another standalone in December okay. called Layla's Choice, which is about Malta. Okay. Two Australians chasing a runaway in Malta. Oh, what fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then in 2024, I start a new series. And so I've got a few of those already finished and um, in the bag. Um, so, uh, and that starts with some identical twins. <laughs> that What fun. Oh, my gosh. Holy moly. I am so looking forward to you coming back. I hope that when the next book releases, you'll come back and read for us. I'll do that. That would be spectacular. <laughs> I'm so glad we've met. I'm so glad that we're able to to bridge the wacky distance and time yeah. of of the universe. And I, I'm really I'm really pleased. And it's lovely you. to get encouragement from um, the states. Um, yeah, and I, to, your well, writing is really spectacular. Like like I say, I I you're just such a wonderful storyteller. I can I can just dive into your work and escape, and it, it's a fabulous feeling to be able to do that. Thank you. Thank I'm so glad you came. I hope you have a wonderful tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. And uh, and I hope your winter is gentle there. Yes. Actually, I think we're heading we're heading into um, El. Is it El Nina? Which one's the boy? The 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 cold. I can never. The, the droughty one where we're okay. expecting um, exceptional dry hot weather Again, coming up to this didn't winter. Get yeah. enough of that. We've had enough of that, but yeah, it oh. looks like it's coming back. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I hope it is gentle for you where you are, and uh, keep writing. Keep keep coming back and feeding our imagination more. You do such a great job of it. Thank you. And enjoy spring. I can see you're in a, <laughs> oh, a much lighter shirt than me. I am so happy. It was 68 <laughs> degrees today and I, I'm a very happy person. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com 
to sign up and read aloud.